Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, hello, sweet listeners, and welcome back to the In the Meadow podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, otherwise known as Vic in the Meadow in all my corners of the internet. And let me tell you, it has been a heck of a few weeks. The last couple episodes I both recorded two weeks ago, so we have a little bit of catching up to do before we get into talking about why self-help books are cancelled. To be quite frank, I've been having a rough go with my mental health. I think it was the day after I recorded my last podcast, I ended up going with my partner to a new to us used bookstore. But this used bookstore was in a city that is on the way to the city where I experienced a very traumatic relationship in my early 20s. I haven't even been able to drive that way on the highway since. It's been like a decade and it's just something that's really, really difficult. But I said, you know what, we're going to take the back roads. I'm going to do it. And that itself went Well, I had a great time at the bookstore, aside from the tummy rumbles and extreme anxiety and panic. Overall, I was really proud of myself, but upon talking to my therapist this week and explaining to her the snowball effect after that of the past week, that definitely just set things off for me. It put me in a very fragile state of mind. Now, if you listen to my podcast talking about my OCD journey, then you probably have an understanding that the therapy that I'm in right now weekly is ERP therapy. So it's exposure response prevention therapy for my OCD specifically. It's not talk therapy. My therapist specializes in this. And she's mentioned this a few times that I probably should seek talk therapy or maybe EMDR with someone to work through my PTSD that I have as that seems to be the trigger of my OCD. OCD often in people feeds off of trauma. And this, this definitely kind of proved to me that as much as I'm feeling reluctant to have to find another therapist that I love to do other work with, I probably really need to because I've been having one of the hardest weeks that I've had in a couple months at least, in a little while, which leads me to 
the the next event that really triggered the rough episode, I will say, that I had this past weekend. That was throwing my back out. Oh, listen, this is how I know I'm getting older and I'm still so young and so appreciative of that, but this is how I can feel my body getting older. I have never injured my back before. I've never thrown my back out. I don't often even get back pain. On Saturday, I was like, okay, I'm going to practice some yoga. I'm gonna get back into this. I used to be like an avid yoga goer. It hasn't been in the budget, but I was like, I'm gonna pull up some like yoga to do at home. I pushed that darn cobra pose way too far. And if you aren't familiar, it's basically extension of your back. I immediately felt something was not good. Got up and I was like, oh, my back really hurts, but I carried along with my day. And I was like, oh, my back really hurt. Tried to go to bed, woke up at 3 a.m. in just like spasm and so much pain. And I'm not gonna get into the specifics, but I have a lot of somatic and health related OCD. So taking medication is really, really hard for me. And I had denied Robaxaset from my partner the whole Saturday. I was like, nope, I'm going to push through. It's going to be fine. I'll use some muscle cream. By 3 a.m. I was so desperate for sleep and so much pain with my back and spasm that I crushed up that Robaxaset and I took it and I was fine. I didn't have any side effects or die, but my OCD was really trying to tell me that everything was going to go to shit. Just a lot of aspects of my life. It wasn't just the medication. It suddenly it was 3 a.m. and the spirals were spiraling. And anyone that deals with any mental health struggles probably knows that the nighttime is the the hardest time. All sundown and the spirals are just spiraling. It was a really hard few days and a hard time for me as new forms of OCD were coming up. I've never dealt with relationship OCD, which I just learned about this weekend, which tried to sneak in. I haven't really dealt with confession OCD before. That also tried to sneak in. And I'm like Googling all these things because I'm like, okay, is what I'm feeling OCD related? Is it trauma related? Is it just is it just me? I felt really, really disoriented. I was really grateful Tuesday morning I had therapy schedule. That was really grounding for me and humbling. And I still am definitely deep in the brain fog of like trying to come out of that weekend. I slept horribly last night. I slept on the couch from like 1am to 6am and that was about it. Just have the night jitters right now and I'm trying really hard to carry on with my day and still do things and not let my OCD control my life. That's about all you can do. Trying to practice positive self-talk and self-compassion and just remind myself that a bad week or maybe a bad month doesn't define the progress that you made. It doesn't mean it's a setback. It doesn't mean that things are going to get horrible again, even though my OCD is really trying to tell me that I'm going to be back at square one. But that's where I'm at. That's, it's been hard. I'm feeling a lot better despite the nights being rough. I am feeling more positive and like I can face hard things again. It's, it's been tough and I like to keep it real with y'all. And when I have my good weeks, I always say, you know what? I accept that there are ebbs and flows. There are rises and dips in this roller coaster of OCD. And this has been a, a really down past week, but I think things are gonna get easier again. So I'm happy about that. The weather has also been absolutely bonkers here in Southern Ontario. I, I can't even explain. The past weekend was like 10 degrees, warm, sunny. Tuesday morning when I had therapy, I pull out my Zoom call and like five minutes before therapy starts, starts thundering. And then it starts hailing. And my therapist was like, what is that? Is it raining there? And I was like, oh, girlfriend, it is 
hailing thunder and hail and then the temperature dropped and then it rose again to like 12 degrees and then yesterday it dropped to negative two and then we had snow this morning it's, it's been really confusing and horrible for pressure headaches i think that hasn't helped the weird vibes of the past weekend either however looking at the weather app it looks like we're gonna be in the like plus double digits for the next few weeks i think it's just spring creeping in it's supposed to be 18 degrees celsius this coming Monday, like tomorrow, when you're listening to this episode, if you're listening on Sunday, which is very weird weather for this time of year. And we didn't really have much of a winter at all here in Southern Ontario, maybe two or three dumps of snow, both which melted within a few days of getting them, but there was no consistent snow over the winter, which I think when a lot of people that aren't from Canada think of Canada, they think of a lot of snow. Boy, not here in the South not anymore. Growing up, it, there was so much snow. And whatever the heck is going on with our poor, poor earth, we don't really have winters anymore with a lot of snow or cold. I'm looking forward to the sun and today is beautifully sunny as I'm recording this and it is just setting the tone of the day. I think, I think we're gonna have a good day. I also just realized talking about the weather, my pressure headache finally broke. It's been a rough 48 hours of that and I just realized today I feel wonderful. That's exciting. The other, things I wanted to catch up on. Love is blind. Now I'm gonna keep this really brief because I know not everyone is into the reality TV. This has been consuming my life the past three weeks. I am a glutton for trashy reality TV. It helps me shut off my brain, leave other people's problems for a little bit and just forget about my own life. It is just so entertaining. I've been really hooked into the new season of Love is Blind and when I'm recording this and when this comes out, I am all caught up to date and Wednesday, the wedding episode will drop and then the reunion. Now listen, I think I already know what the outcomes of the weddings are gonna be. I'm not as excited for that, but I am itching for this reunion. This season is so, so messy. I don't think I wanna give any spoilers in this, just in case someone is like, mm, I wanna watch it and haven't watched it yet. Just know if you have feelings about it or wanna talk about it, my DMs on Instagram are so open. I really love all the memes and TikTok videos people have been sending me about this new season. Deep lurking Reddit every Wednesday when new episodes drop, I am thriving with that. I also watched the new Love is Blind Sweden show that somebody recommended and it was, it was pretty good too. The reunion of it was juicy so juicy that the standard is high now for the American, the new American season reunion. We will see, but that has been a little ray of sunshine from my past difficult week. It's just helped me to shut my brain off for a little bit, not have my thoughts racing and ruminating. Otherwise, there hasn't been too much going on. We are officially in March when this comes out. It's the last day of February right now as I am recording. Going into month three of my low by year, it was actually just right before I started recording this, reflecting upon January and February. I did really well in January. I had 23 of the days as no spend days. February was not quite as much. I calculated 14 days. There were some mental health related McDonald's Diet Coke or Wendy's Sprite purchases. Be like a little more frequently than I would have liked the past week. However, like I said, I didn't want this to be something restrictive. I more so wanted it to make me mindful of where I'm spending my money, appreciating what I have and just regulating my relationship with consumerism. But I think for March, I wanna, I wanna tighten it up again. 
tighten it up a little bit. Just trying to cut pop and clearly when I'm having a hard day, nothing helps like a Diet Coke. I think that is very low risk harm in the long run compared to other coping mechanisms. So I think I'm just gonna buy a case of Diet Coke again with my groceries next time. And that will be much more cost effective than going to McDonald's and buying a large Diet Coke. Cause holy guacamole, Batman, those are like $4. For a freaking soft drink from McDonald's, are we, what planet are we on? How have we got to this point in capitalism? Anyways, my point being March, I really just wanna tighten it up with my low by year and be a little more intentional every day when I wake up and think about where I'm going. Because the hardest part I found in February is it was just so cold, so dark. I've been mentally struggling a little bit and we've been doing a lot of antiquing. I had mentioned we were looking for shelves. We got the shelves, they're up now. So in my brain, I need to be like, okay, we don't need to go window shopping as much now because the temptation gets really real. And I get in my head being like, well, it's sustainable. It's supporting independent local antique shop. And I also need to remember I'm still spending money if I buy things there. So that is the mental goal to just, maybe I'll like re-listen to my episode, look at my notes for my intentions for the year and ground myself. It has been a lot easier than I expected in a lot of ways though, especially with clothing. I wrote like I think I wrote absolutely no new clothing. Maybe I said a couple articles. I can't remember. I have not even been tempted. I've told y'all I love Pinterest. I go on Pinterest like every day to look at my little style board, get inspiration, type in clothing items I already own to see how other people style them. And that's been, that's been great. Even when I've gone to thrift stores to look for specific things that I've needed, like ribbon for a project or hunting for a birthday gift for my stepdad. I don't even look in the clothing section. Just don't even entertain it. And I think that's going really well. I feel so abundant with what I already have. I've been learning to sew. I repurposed a dress that got stained in the wash. I sewed a little shirt for my jelly cat bunny. I don't know if I've posted that on Instagram yet. I'm not sure when I post this, if I will have yet. If not, I will try to remember because it turned out really cute. It took like four hours. Don't get me wrong because I don't have a sewing machine. I am hand sewing these things, but I'm feeling more confident in my abilities to create things from things I already have and to mend and darn my clothing. But I think that's, that's about the update on how things are going. So let's get into this topic because I have a lot of notes written down on why self-help books are canceled. Of course, I'm going to start this off with my little disclaimer. These are just my thoughts. I am one human being on this big wide world, sharing my experience. I'm not a professional, I'm not a psychologist. For me, self-help books have done a lot of damage. I think it's a narrative that I want to discuss and talk about and see how y'all feel in relation to it because my feelings on self-help books have changed a lot through the years. And I actually want to open this up with saying that I do think some self-help books can be positive and helpful so long as you're looking at them as a tool and not professional help, if that makes sense. When I exited a very abusive relationship a long time ago, my eyes were literally opened to the word narcissist and like narcissism in abusive relationships for the first time from quote unquote self-help books. There's a book called The Sociopath Next Door and something about narcissism. I can't even remember the names of them and I have since donated them because I do not need that reminder on my book. At the time, those were what drove me to share with my friends and family what was going on to seek therapy. So that is just to say that before I go and do a lot of Mm, negative talk on why self-help books can be harmful that I do still believe 
There are nuances. They can be helpful, of course, to a lot of situations. However, today I do want to focus on why I think they can do more harm than good. So that aside, let's get into it. I am 27, turning 28 in a few months, 90s baby. I entered the workforce in the thick of the boss babe era. It was a weird, weird time. Now I graduated college at 20. I had gone to an accelerated program, did my three-year advanced diploma in two years, was out in the workforce by the age of 20. Top of that, being self-employed was just a really weird culture, specifically with women in business at the time. And now, while I think it obviously was meant to be empowering, it also placed a lot of pressure on us and was 100% fueled by capitalism because the whole like boss babe era was about work. It was about business. Now, of course it's great for women to thrive in business, but I lost so much sight of who I was, what I enjoyed and what was important in life because I felt that my whole identity had to be encompassed around how successful I was in my business, how much money I was making and how well known I was, which ain't it. I have had to do a lot of work in my mid to late twenties now in unwriting that and relearning my relationship with like who the fuck I am. I literally have a picture somewhere in the aether. It's probably lost deep in the tagged photos on Facebook somewhere of me at my first big girl job out of college that my boss took of me reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck in the break room. This I think was also around the time when like girl wash your face came out. So many books about money, a lot of like spiritual self-help books as well and like the wellness crunchy community it was just it was weird and looking back again there was so much just preying upon women and while I think these books of course are aimed to help what you're really doing is poking insecurities into you by making you think that you aren't whole as you are and the deeper you get into these self-help books the more things you're constantly reaching for that you think you need to fix or improve upon in yourself and like what is that teaching your psyche about how you think about yourself constant lust to improve and improve like why what is up with that i think that's the bottom line when it comes to these things is thinking about the like well, why am I doing that? And feeding further into that, you got your answer. Okay, but why? It's just constantly, for me at least, made me feel like I need to up level and evolve rather than being happy in who I am and exploring who I am organically without someone else telling me how to do that. Like I was saying, a lot, and I'd say the majority of these books feel really powered by capitalism. They're about doing better at work, making a side hustle, so much revolving around money and just doing more, right? Habit stacking, better sleep, better wellness. Even books about like how to relax, which spoiler, stressing yourself by reading a book thinking you aren't capable of learning to relax on your own. It's not good for the brain, it's counterintuitive. Reading it as a chore, as a task that you need to accomplish, I think, I think there's just some contradicting factors at play there. There's also a tricky space in the self-help book community where a lot of the readers tend to think that they are better than those who read fiction, like a weird holier than thou ego. I really don't like that. Often people will, you know, talk to me about books because I read a lot of books. And most of the time, most of the time I get people that are also reading romance or uh, sci-fi fantasy, thrillers, fiction. I occasionally have gotten messages from people being like, do you have any nonfiction recommendations? I'm like, eh, maybe a few memoirs. I sure as shit am not recommending self-help books. And last year I read a few self-help books that were just 
horrible. And I have them saved in my books highlight on my Instagram. I've even been two years ago. One was Atomic Habits and two, I think it was Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. One starred them both. They were brutal reads and I can't remember exactly what my review said right now. But first of all, them being written by men, it came through really strongly. The, the masculine undertone and the egos were just absolutely huge youngest in them. They were rough reads, but the most recent one that I read, this is one I had seen all over TikTok. I had a client talk to me about it. Hopefully I was borrowed this copy for free, but it was 101 essays that will change your life. I'm trying to remember the author, no hate to the specific author. I think it was like Brianna Weist or something. Anywho, I could not one start fast enough. And I, there's a review somewhere on my Goodreads of it. It was rough. It was just common sense. I was like, did someone just take their journal and publish it to make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it by making other people think that they need to know this life-changing information that was literally just like, listen to an audiobook while you brush your teeth. Consider other people's feelings in the workplace. As for the job you want, I ain't about it. I'm just not. And as I've kind of just mentioned in this too, the majority of the authors of a lot of self-help books are straight white men or women are coming from a place of privilege, a lot of nepotism, absolutely no room in their words to hold space for nuance or accounting for marginalized communities. Like I also said, a lot of the information in these books is just common sense. Glorified by the praise that these people get and that these books get for being groundbreaking and transformative. It's just weird, like it's culty to me in a sense. I do think that a lot of these books are, like I said, just written for able-bodied, straight, neurotypical, cisgender folks in how to exceed in capitalism. It's just weird. I think we just have enough of that in the world that we need the opposite being put out into the ether. Ultimately, putting these books behind a paywall benefits the author more than it does you. At the end of the day, they are selling something. Like I said at the beginning, they're making you think that there is something that is not enough in you. There is something that needs to be fixed to be bettered, and that by paying them for their writing that they will make you better. And that sits really, really weird with me. And listen, I get it. People deserve to be paid for their work, but I think you really need to ponder where you are putting your dollar. Because every time we spend money, we vote with our dollar. And I'm really grateful to people out there that share free education on their platforms who might also have books or substacks that are paid for, but licensed professionals sharing on Instagram, for example, or TikTok, making information accessible to everybody at some level. And for me as well, just being someone living with OCD, I've realized in hindsight, these books are really, really dangerous. I live with an immense amount of guilt and shame for not doing enough in general and how I'm being perceived. And when I find these books, it creates a temporary sense of relief almost. I mean, like, oh, I can, I can figure out how to be a quote unquote normal person, but how to join this rat race and come across as appealing. That is so fucked up. It's not a good reason to be reading those type of books. I also tend to obsess. <laughs> Funny that that falls into the obsessive compulsive disorder. We'll pick one element and fixate on that and it will just take over everything. So if I'm reading a self-help book about how to get the best sleep, whatever it might be, it will obsess over that and let my nighttime routine take over my whole life and let everything else kind of fly to the wayside. That's not 
healthy. Heaven forbid. And I really know by now I need to stay away from books about wellness that are talking about like preventing disease and being your best selves. I think that I am suddenly going to escape the realms of ever getting disease. All my OCD is telling me that I'm going to get everything, get cancer and die. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Anyone with OCD listening knows how dangerous that can be. It, it becomes a compulsion thinking, oh, well, if I do this, I'm not going to get sick and I'll be fine. Temporary relief until you start spiraling again, need the next book to tell you how to be your best self. And it just, the cycle repeats. It's also brought up an interesting thought to me because with my OCD as well, and this really, I think just applies to more so people with OCD, potentially other mental health conditions, I'm not sure. OCD, there's something called magical thinking that happens. So it mostly presents in childhood, but carries through to adulthood. So I talked about in my OCD episode, how when my partner had COVID and he was sick and throwing up, he was wearing a very specific pair of bright yellow boxers and how every time he wears those underwear now, I think he's gonna throw up. That's like the magical thinking. Or for a lot of kids, right? If they're like, okay, well, if I wash my hands seven times, my mom's not gonna die in a car accident coming home. Now for me, this links to a lot of those spiritual related self-help books I was talking about. And in that boss babe culture, when I was merging into the workforce, there was a lot of talk around manifestation. Still is, and I wanna do a whole episode on why I have really distanced myself from the wellness and holistic community. Manifesting, very, very dangerous, I personally believe, for most people with OCD. I think it ties really closely into that magical thinking and can be used as a compulsion. That is a theme as I've been thinking about writing this episode and talking about it that has really come up for me that I, I, you know, for a lot of people, the idea of manifestation doesn't harm themselves. It doesn't harm their mental health. But for me, it really does. And I've had to learn to skip by those TikToks, to not get lost in it, to be like, mm-hmm, this is for someone else. This is really not for me. That's what gets tricky with self-help books is they are written for a broad audience. They don't take that nuance into account. It's fine. It's just that not all of us are at a place where we can recognize that. And for the last 10 years of my life, as I was reading them, I was not self-aware. I did not have a proper diagnosis. I didn't know what was healthy versus harmful of information for me to be taking in. Thus, like I said, here I am doing a hell of a lot of unlearning, reframing of my brain of all of these self-help books that have been really damaging for my mental health. So I think it's important for you to ponder the real reason why you are reading self-help books, if that's something that you do. You really want to focus your life about trying to perform better at work, in a relationship, at home, whatever it might be. Did society just make you feel like you need to? Okay, had to take a quick water break because the throat is drying out. Yes, just getting back to saying, pondering why it is you are reading these books. We've talked about in most episodes, so much of the way that we live in our society and the structure of capitalism and consumerism completely wired our brains. It has transformed the way we live our life, the way we think about things day to day. It all comes back together, right? Why I'm doing my low by year to heal my relationship with consumerism, to figure out what's important to me. I work in a field. I'm self-employed. I set my own hours. I work in alternative healthcare, if you will. I can see as many clients as I want to a week. It's interesting because I've, again, talked to different colleagues throughout the years, say, you know, well, I like to bill in, say, at least 2,500 a week. I'm, I'm sitting here doing the math being like, oh my God, do you have any time for yourself? No, this is less relatable to those in a nine to five, but that's the benefit of self-employment. And part of the reason I'm so grateful for it is I can choose to work less. And I've talked about this ad nauseum in other episodes about learning to live with less. There's definitely a podcast I've done literally called that 
where I probably dive into this more. I even had people message me that said, you know, I there was someone from Australia. I remember this message very vividly. And I think she works in veterinary medicine. I'm feeling very confident in this. And if you're listening, let me know. But she had told me that she had dropped down from full-time to part-time work. And although she was making less money, she was somehow still doing financially okay because she adjusted the way that she lives, what she focuses her life on, and just enjoying living without just things and money being the center of focus. It's so interesting because I completely, obviously, try and live my life the same way. And while I could burn out and bust my ass and think exclusively about work to make money to go on big trips and buy fancy things and buy new clothes every month. I value getting to know who I am and having quiet time in nature or with a book, with a cup of tea, with my knitting, with the birds, so much more than that. But at the end of the month, if my bills are covered and maybe there's a hundred dollars left over, order a pizza and go thrift some new books, I'm happy as a clam. I think a lot of people in our society anyways have realized that retirement's gonna look a lot different for us. The concept of home ownership is out the door for a lot of us unless we're luckily inheriting a house from our parents. While I do, when I can, set money aside for emergencies, for savings, I learned it's unhealthy for me to just completely stress about that. So I am just at a healthy place with that where I'm happy to work less, to work as really as little as I have to, to get by so that my bills are paid. I've got a little bit left over to port my interests, if you will, because money does rule the world at the end of the day. No getting around that. And younger me earlier in my career might have thought that's lazy or unambitious. And some of you listening might think that that sounds that way. I'm the happiest that I've ever been in my career. I have a great work-life balance. No, this isn't achievable to everybody depending on your field and your situation. Things changed a lot for me when I started having this outlook. And I've had some people ask questions about like recommendations of books about this way of thinking, kind of like the opposite of a self-help book. I don't have a lot. And the books that I kind of do have that I can recommend, you have to pick the pieces, right? It's the same thing. There's not a ton of room for nuance in them. They might be a little bit dated, but there are helpful aspects in them, I think. One was the Frugal Art of Hedonistic Living. I'm pretty sure that's the title. You can read my review on Goodreads of what I have to say about that. A lot of things are unrealistic because it's written by people in their 40s and 50s who grew up in a different generation where the way they talk about money balance is just a little bit different to how things are today, but there still were a lot of really beneficial elements of that and stories of other people who really redefine what an essential is in their life and how to live with less and thus work less to have to spend less if that makes sense. Another one, there was one called The Year of Living with Less. I think I should have written notes for this. I've done my notes at this point. I borrowed that one from the library. It was on Libby, the audiobook, and I really, really enjoyed that. It's just the story of a woman in her year of, I think she did like a no spend year. I don't know. It might've been low buy. Might've been no buy. I can't remember. Uh, I listened to it about a year ago and it was what got me thinking about doing this low buy year this year. And those are the kind of stories that I find inspiring nowadays. I think it's normal for things to shift in our life as we ebb and flow through different phases of what we feel is important. I have a feeling if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably on a bit of a similar wavelength to me and where I'm at. I think it's good and I think it's important to have more people in the working age 
realm questioning these things and rewriting what we think is important. For me, self-help books are not a part of that journey. But I'm I'm really curious what y'all think about this. And I think as well, I didn't define what a self-help book is per se. I think you can leave that as being subjective of what that means to you. For me, it's anything that puts you in a box or again, brings out those feelings of not enoughness. Capitalizing off of making people feel not good and that they need their help to quote unquote be better. I am on a journey of self-acceptance and self-love and there's just no room for that right now. I'm, I'm just interested to hear what y'all might think of this episode. I really appreciate everyone who reaches out with kind words after listening to the podcast over on Instagram. It's really fun to connect with y'all and to hear what you have to say because this is me talking one way and I don't know how it'll be received. I think, I think this will resonate with a lot of you. I'm almost more interested too to hear, I don't know if I have a lot of younger than me listeners, like the late teens, early 20s age range because y'all wouldn't have obviously been entering the workforce in the boss babe era of 2014. I wonder if maybe now there's a different vibe around it right off the bat. I hope so. I think it depends who you surround yourself with, your community is, and how you think about yourself and your life and your goals. I hope that change will come. I hope there are brighter days ahead for the next generation of their relationship with work and their self and self-love. And that's about all she wrote. And these were just my personal thoughts and feelings. And I want to remind you that you are so much more than your work performance. You are so much more than your salary. Productivity is subjective. It is a subjective term and it does not define you. And if you are watered, cleaned and fed, you are doing a great job. Now, I am off to make some lunch. That seems to be the common theme for me as I always tend to record this like after my morning bath, then I'm gonna have lunch, then I'm gonna go to work later. It's a good flow. It's a good way to do it. And I don't know what the heck I'm gonna make for lunch lately. The energy levels have been really low when it comes to cooking. So a canned soup might be in my future, but that's okay. Otherwise, I am off to read and just hang out until I have to fulfill my needs of capitalism later. Thank you all so much for being here and for listening. We'll have new episodes every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you to those that tune in, give it a rating, chat with me, whatever, or just carry on about your day. I appreciate you being here and I will see you next Sunday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.